You're listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. What's going on, guys? Hope that you are doing well. Uh, we are in the last week of the sub-thread of the series threads we've been doing. It's been Empires, Kingdoms, and Realms. Last week, we talked about war. Specifically, we talked about the story of David and Goliath, hashed out some application points in that, and you can find that on last week's episode of the podcast. This week, we are talking about spiritual realms, and to be more specific, we're going to dive into some spiritual warfare. And for some of us, that catches our attention and gets us excited because it's been a part of our spiritual journey. But for others, it kind of freaks us out because our experience has been odd, and, and we don't really want to talk about the spiritual realms or the spiritual aspects of our faith. But what we have to realize is that there's undeniably something spiritual happening in our daily lives and in our world that the world around us is is filled with spiritual elements. And Scripture is really, really clear about that. And so when we talk about spiritual warfare, I think it can get really weird. It can get uh, consuming, and that is definitely not the call. There's, there's a quote by C.S. Lewis. Uh, many of us might know him as the guy who wrote The Chronicles of Narnia, but he was this incredible, incredible author who had amazing thoughts. And well, he wrote this book called The Screwtape Letters that is unreal. It's this fictional account of these two demons having conversations about how to affect this this human man. And um, it's really, really interesting. It, it kind of opens up a new perspective. But when he talks about spiritual warfare, um, it's really interesting. He has this quote that says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils as demons. One is to believe in their existence the other is to believe and to or to not believe in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So we can be people who just don't believe that spiritual warfare exists or we can get so obsessed with it that it consumes our everyday this past weekend, Pastor Nate uh, talked about the nature of the devil. I'd really encourage you, if you're interested in that, you could uh, listen to that. You can find that on the Faith Chapel website. But what I want to do is I want to make a couple of statements about the reality of our battle. And, and then I want to look at Ephesians chapter 6 and think about how we engage with that battle. So the first statement I want to make is this, is that there is an enemy. There is undeniably an enemy. First Peter chapter five, verses eight through nine. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can, dev- he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. There is an enemy. His name is the devil. He's an adversary. He is called many, many things, but he is without a doubt, the enemy. There's this human desire within us to believe that there really is not a battle to be fought at all because evil is hypothetical. And as you're living your truth and I'm living my truth and all of those different things that we get to kind of contextualize and 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 point fingers at what we personally in our own lives believe is evil, but somewhere inherently within us, if we are honest with ourselves, we know at our core that there is evil, that as a collective humanity, we can look at things and say, that is evil. There is something broken about that. But because we are so incredibly broken ourselves, we often misidentify what is evil or who is evil. We like to point fingers and we like to cast judgment, but What we have to understand is that evil and sin present itself within all of us and everyone else 
all the time. That because of our fallen nature, that there is evil and brokenness that presents all the time. But that brings me to the second point is this, is the second statement is that the enemy is not flesh and blood. The enemy is not flesh and blood. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. The enemy is not flesh and blood. We must, we must fight the lie that the people across the globe or across the street or sometimes across the living room or who are part of that other group, them over there, they are the enemy. They are not the enemy. The enemy is not flesh and blood. The enemy will use the fallibility of human beings. The enemy will use the brokenness of human beings to do awful things that atrocities are 100% committed all the time through the decisions that broken human beings make. But we have to identify the fact that there is spiritual warfare, that he is working in and through people, not just believing that the person who did the thing is in their individual agency just evil as a human being. Like, yes, we do. We have individual agency. We get to make decisions and we make stupid decisions and some people make compiling bad decisions that lead them to having false beliefs about people this is where we see like racism and and just bigotry and all these different things that are happening um in our world that that we're just like no like there's there's things that i i just can't stand for and and if we can have a perspective that's not like yeah you you're the evil but we would see the fact that there is no war no atrocity no broken thing that happens without spiritual warfare that sometimes we are in tune with Jesus and what he has asked us to do and sometimes we are not and it allows the enemy to to pick at our vulnerabilities and we do stupid things because he uses our human nature against ourselves. So the first statement, there is an enemy, but two, the enemy is not flesh and blood. So the question becomes this, how do we fight an enemy that we cannot see? Well, the next eight verses lay out the full armor of God. And I'll be the first to admit that growing up, depending on my age and stage, my perception of the armor of God has ranged from like super cool, really awesome. Like I I want that so bad to to cheesy, (laughs) like because the way that the church has depicted it. I remember as a kid, I was like, yeah, like that's amazing. I want to be a knight. And then like as I got older and into junior high and high school and and even into like college aged years being like, man, the way the church depicts this is like super cheesy. And like, I, I don't know, like last night, at, at young adults, I, I brought up Bible man. Nate brought him up even before that on the weekend. And Bible man was a little bit after me, but it was like this superhero that was dressed in the full armor of God essentially. And, and I just remember as a high school student, I was just like, no way. Like we're really doing this. Like this is not cool. But then I would have like friends, little brothers and sisters. They'd be like, that is the coolest thing in the world. I want to be Bible man. So like the full armor of God has this like distorted view in a lot of our minds but i think it's really important for us to understand that as paul writes to the church in ephesus this is incredibly important and it it painted a word picture for the church in ephesus that was so incredibly vivid for them they were constantly around centurions the roman government the roman uh roman nation had taken over the world and so there were centurions posted in Ephesus. They were every they were everywhere every day, and the church in Ephesus would have really recognized them. And so you have to to picture in your mind this this impeccable soldier who has armor and a sword and a spear and a shield and a helmet and all of these different things. And as Paul walks through the armor of God, he is he is trying to say like 
I want you to associate the fact that you are around people who are equipped for battle, physical battle all the time, but you need to be equipped for spiritual battle. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, Paul says this, For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist the the resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. So the point, first point is this, is that preparation is everything. There's this temptation in our everyday lives, but also in our spiritual lives to live on the fly. We come in contact with a situation and then we reach for the thing that we need. We look for the tool that we've been provided. We're like, Oh, I'm in the middle of this. Now I'm going to reach for the truth or I'm going to reach for, I'm going to try to be righteous in the, in the spur of the moment, or I'm going to try to understand the depth of my salvation or whatever it may be. We just reach for these individual things and it doesn't really work out that well because we aren't prepared. We take up the full armor of God. That's what he says. For this reason, take up the full armor of God. And the reason that we take up the full armor of God is because we want to live in the knowledge that it is not if the enemy attacks, but when the enemy attacks. We cannot wait for the for when the enemy attacks to, to put on the armor of God, that we should be equipped and ready to go every moment of every day. And that takes hard work, but it is necessary for us to live out the lives that God has called us to live. Paul goes on to say in verses 14 through 15, stand therefore with the truth, like a belt around your waist, righteousness, like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. So let's look at all three of these, truth, righteousness, peace. I think it'd be really easy for us to only think of truth as what we need to speak into the world through arguments or beliefs. I used to believe this for a really long time is that I thought about this, that, that I'm ready with truth. I'm ready to speak truth at people. I'm ready to speak truth into situations. And while I think that there are elements of that, I wonder if the truth that we need to know the most is the truth that Jesus speaks about us. Satan is known as the great accuser, and he's going to come at us with all kinds of lies and all kinds of accusations about who we are. And if we do not have truth tied around us like a belt, we are not going to be able to combat the lies of the enemy when he tries to give us an identity that is not in line with the identity that Jesus has given us. We have to know the truth about what Jesus calls us if we want to ever be able to to healthily speak truth into the world around us. Righteousness often seems like a a hyper-religious word that we fail to try to understand. Words that are often attributed to the definition of righteousness would be virtuous, moral, without guilt, or without blemish. But all these things are about being made right and being being in right relationship with God. That As it's talking about this, a lot of translations would use breastplate of righteousness. This is the armor on your chest. Armor on your chest. The reason that that is the case is because it comes down to heart issues. We want to be effective people who love and serve the world around us. But if we want to be in right relationship with others, we must make sure that we are in right relationship with God. And if we've got heart issues that are happening, that are unsteadying us, that are shaking our tree, that are creating in us an an unhealthiness, we need to be people who get right with God before we're ever going to be able to get right with people. I had an experience with this uh, a few years ago. I had several like really important relationships in my life that just started to fall apart and I couldn't figure it out. And through effort and through words and all these different things, I was trying to fix my relationships. And what now looking back on that season, what I realized is that it was probably the least intentional I had, I had been with my personal relationship with Jesus in a really long time. And it was affecting my relationships that because I wasn't focused on my vertical relationship with Jesus, my horizontal relationships 
were suffering. And when reconciliation was able to happen, it happened when I focused on becoming who God had called me to be so that I could love people well. But when I wasn't focused on that, I was just trying to like effort my way into having healthy relationships, but left to my own, I am broken left to my own. I am very, very messy and I am not somebody who's going to fix anything, but Jesus can fix things in me that will allow me to speak health into the lives of other people. So we have truth, we have righteousness, and then we have peace. But not but not just peace, fitted with the readiness of peace. There's that preparation thing again, right? I don't know about you, but I haven't felt a ton of peace over the last couple of years. Um, the world has been crazy. It's been chaos. It's been world shifting. But what if we stopped looking at peace as a thing to be felt, but more of a message to be preached? Paul says the readiness the readiness that comes with the bringing of the gospel of peace, the good news of peace, the truth that Jesus brings peace in conflict. He brings peace in health. He brings peace in sickness. He brings peace in plenty. He brings peace in want. He brings peace. We have to be ready to tell others and remind each other of the peace that Jesus brings. We desperately need it. If we consider ourselves a follower of Jesus, we get, to, we get the assurance of peace, but we also inherit the calling to bring peace into situations. That if, if we consider ourselves followers of Jesus, we should not step into relationships and step into situations and bring anxiety and fear and stress into the people that we're around. If we are followers of Jesus, we should bring safety and comfort and yes, sometimes sometimes there's there's like hard words and challenges and, and all of those things, but but in a way that is like, no, like you make me feel safe. I'm at peace when I'm around you. I'm actually willing to accept a challenge because I know that your intent is for my good. Like nothing is more frustrating than Christians who bring fear, Christians who bring anxiety, Christians who who just bring people into a place where they do not feel any of the things that Jesus made people feel. Jesus brought healing and comfort. And he wasn't, he wasn't untruthful. He brought challenge. He brought all of those things. But when Jesus was in a switch, the only people that Jesus made uncomfortable were hyper-religious people. Then, So why, as followers of Jesus 2,000 years ago, do people get so uncomfortable being around us because they fear that they're going to be judged or that they're going to be condemned or they're going to be yelled at or they're going to be screamed at? Would we be people who bring the gospel of peace? Verses 16 through 17, they go on to say, In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So we have three more. We have faith, salvation, and the word of God. These three representations are rooted in assurance assurance, faith that that Jesus is who he said he is. The assurance that salvation is something to keep us eternally focused, not stuck in our current circumstance. The assurance that scripture serves as a holy tool to combat the lies of the enemy. The illustration that Paul gives here is really interesting because he talks about having a shield that is able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And he's painting this picture that he's going along with, with the centurion theme where the the centurions when they were in battle they 
they they overtook the Greeks. They became the superpower of the world, but they still were fighting all these battles. And they had these shields that were often five, five and a half feet long that were made out of wood. And they, they were able to create these incredible formations. And, and even in, in hand-to-hand combat, they were effective. And what enemies found out is that, well, those shields are made of wood. So if we light our arrows on fire and we shoot those at their formations or we shoot those at their soldiers, the arrows will will strike and stick into their their wooden shields but and they will light the shields on fire, rendering them useless. Like this is what we're going to do. So what the, the Roman soldiers started doing, which is brilliant, is that they would dip their shields in water. They would bring water and pour, pour water over the top of their shields because they knew that their enemies were going to try to do that so that when the, an arrow that was on fire struck a wet shield, it would extinguish. It would just So it was just a, a regular arrow sticking out of the shield instead of something that could actually light the shield on fire. And I think it leads us to ask a question. When, when it comes to our faith, what are we doing what are we doing to keep our shields drenched? Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. So what what are we doing to keep our shields drenched? Are we in community keeping our shields wet? Are we in scripture keeping our shields wet? Are we in relationships with people that are pushing us towards Jesus? Is that keeping us in a place where our shields are are, are drenched and that the flaming arrows of the enemy would be quenched every time they struck the shield that we have? Like what and who spurs us towards faith? If we can agree that we must be prepared, then we have to ask ourselves the question, are we prioritizing the things that would help us be prepared? If we, if we agree that we are called to take up the full armor of God, would we understand that preparation includes other people? It doesn't it does, just doesn't include just us being like, yes, I'm prepared. No, we need to be people who are prepared with others and prepared individually to take on the attacks of the enemy. What are we doing to keep our shields drenched? Salvation, the blessed assurance that eternity is in his, his hands, not ours. The enemy wants nothing more than to get in our heads and have, have us doubt that truth. Is it really? Is it really in his hands? Is there, or is there something that you've done to lose it? Or is there something you could do to earn it? We have to make the conscious effort to turn our minds towards Jesus and the truth that he holds. April Model has this, this quote. She says, The battlefield of our mind is the primary place spiritual battle is fought. The Lord works his freeing truth into our perspectives while the enemy fights for strongholds to bind us. Sanctification is happening in those of us who are willing to lean in, to be in process. And it's okay to be in process. So many of us believe that we have to have arrived. We're never going to arrive. We are being sanctified every day as we pursue Jesus, but but there's never going to be this moment on this side of heaven that's like, yep, I've done it. I've accomplished it. I'm perfect. No, never. We're not going to. Jesus appreciates people who are in process. It's just about taking step after step after step. We have to approach the battlefield with our minds set on Jesus. That is how refinement and restoration happens. And then we talk about the word of God, the sword of the spirit, a weapon to combat the enemy. This is always my favorite part of the armor of God because I was like, yeah, something to, to be on the offensive with. Like we have a sword that is dangerous and we can attack the enemy more accessible than ever before the Bible is. More accessible than ever. It's on your phone, your iPad, it's on your computer, it's anywhere and everywhere. And yet, our actual Bibles are more often used as coasters than they are as a dangerous weapon. The truth is, is the Bible in your hand is not dangerous. The, a book, a collection of letters and poems and, and, and history, like it's just a book. 
if it's just in your hand, it's not dangerous. But if it's in your mind and if it's in your soul and it's in your heart, then it's very dangerous. The enemy is terrified of someone who is actually meditating on the word of God. It's not dangerous when we hold it, but it's dangerous when we know it. Paul goes on to say in verses 18 through 20, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. I just want to stop there. I think that when it comes to this idea of spiritual warfare and spiritual realms, we've lost the ability to lean into the mystery of the gospel. We want solid answers. We want T's crossed, I's dotted. We want all of the answers. But the fact of the matter is that some things we will not fully understand. There is a mystery to Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to follow a Jesus that I fully understand. That's a small Jesus. I want a big, expansive, question-inducing Jesus that says, man, I don't understand it. I don't know how you felt that way. I don't know how you loved people unconditionally. I don't understand how you lived my life, but you didn't sin. Like, I just don't understand any things, and that's okay. I'm going to lean into the mystery of the good news of Jesus. Paul ends with this, For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. So how does Paul land the plane? Simple. Pray. Pray. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Intercess for people. Pray that I might be bold enough. Pray for me. Pray for others. Pray for yourselves. Pray, pray, pray. And it leads us to this this final thought that as, as Paul is producing this word picture to the church in Ephesus. He's saying, look at these centurions. Like these, these are super awesome, super BA soldiers. Like they're, they're, they're working and they're fighting. They're effective. And, and what they do for the Roman world, we want to do for God's kingdom. We want to be soldiers, not against people, not to oppress nations, but to oppress the enemy and to kick him out of our lives and the lives of the people around us. But what the church in Ephesus understood is that a centurion by themselves was fairly intimidating, but a group of centurions together was terrifying. That because of the fact that they were able to to form together in unison and they had these different tactics, they had tactics, they had uh, a formation that Nate talked about on the weekend a couple a couple weeks ago about um, the the tortoise, this this defensive brick that they created these just these walls this 360 degree wall of shields and yet they could get spears out if they needed to but they were protected on from every angle and then they had this offensive tactic called the wedge which was pretty much like the flying v from from mighty ducks if you're old enough like me to know what the mighty ducks were and you you they would go on these offensives and they would just break down the defenses of other enemies because they were just shield to shield but they were at angles and things would bounce off their shields and they they had all these different ways to attack and all these different things and what the enemy understands what the enemy understands is that by ourselves we are formidable together we are unstoppable so would we be people who are constantly in community refining ourselves but helping each other refine one another that we would be putting on our armor, that we help other people put their armor on, that we would be reminded of and be people who remind others that, that we need to be fully prepared for the attacks of the enemy and that when one person falls, we step in and we defend until they can get back up, that we would be people who are constantly praying, intercessing, and fighting for the kingdom of God and for, for each other because we're on mission together.
Thank you for listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. If you are in the Billings area, we would love to see you at our in-person gatherings on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. If you're unable to attend in person, there are always ways to engage online. Follow along through Instagram at faithchapel.ya or find our ministry page at faithchapel.cc. You are loved.